Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on the show, we discuss how the story of doom challenges the philosophy of working towards the greater good. Welcome to the Lower Party, a podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. I'm Bruce. And I'm Connor. And we are back again to talk about uh, Doom and all of its beautiful games in this lovely, demonic franchise. This very happy, very positive, very upbeat setting that, <laughs> that we all know and love. It's such a, no good, it's a, such a good time. Such a feel-good story. Nothing but good vibes. And just a man and his bunny <laughs> taking <laughs> right. on taking on the dimensions of the underworld and dealing with such lighthearted and uh, approachable topics like utilitarianism <laughs> like what we're about to talk about here but yeah yeah, yeah we are so, we are uh, back at it episode three of a doom series and uh this is definitely a weighty uh dense uh topic that we're going to explore in the doom setting today yeah we're gonna get really really um just big brain time here <laughs> that's right uh, going to be using some of my college learnings to kind of really deconstruct a lot of narratives here. Not to uh, brag, is... but uh, Bruce and I, we've read a few books. <laughs> Just a few. In our but, time. Yeah. Don't want to brag. <laughs> Probably like 10 pages. I don't know. They were mostly doom novelizations in my case, <laughs> but they were still books. Yeah. <laughs> so we're pretty credible here. But we are here to deal with... Uh, a very real theme that we have noticed, you and I have noticed. Well, I guess you noticed it first, and I, you know, we talked about it. I, some. Yeah, I, I just couldn't stop thinking about it as I was going through Doom uh, of just this repeating theme of the narrative of utilitarianism mm-hmm. um, in the Doom games, uh, where you kind of find that there is always this almost one sided argument. Uh, for the greater good in some terms of either working for or working towards hell for some reason. Right. So um, I guess we just kind of have to start with uh, for the folks at home who may not know what utilitarianism is. Sure. Yeah. Um, start from the start from the bottom. Right. So it was first founded uh, by Jeremy Bentham, I believe, in the either 18th century or uh, I believe maybe the 19th century. Sounds right. Where it was just this belief that the actions of anything are right if they are useful or uh, beneficial to the majority. Right. And it's kind of been, uh, it's a very Western philosophy of just, I know this is going to be really crappy right now, but if it helps in the long run, we should just do it and, you know, not really worry about, you know, the wishy-washy bad stuff that's happening right now. 
it, it is a philosophical way of looking at life that we see in our everyday lives, you know, in modern times, uh, framed in the terms of the ends justifying the means. That's kind of a that's an example of utilitarianism in action when you hear, oh, well, yeah, like you said, Bruce, this is not ideal morally at the time, but it'll be beneficial for the majority of people down the road. And we actually see this uh, come up as a theme in other popular media, not just Doom. We'll get into how it comes into Doom soon, but we see it happen in, uh, you know, like Star Trek. In the immortal words of the great and wise uh, Dr. Spock, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Classic utilitarianism. It's kind of pragmatically looking at what do we have to do? You know, what's the cost versus the benefit? Who does it benefit? Who is the sacrifice? You know, it's kind of a... It's like the, those cosmic scales and how they are balanced. And right. uh, it's, uh, we see it come up a lot. It's pretty common. Yeah. Uh, another thing that we also see a lot is the trolley problem, Classic, uh, yeah. which is, you know, the scenario of you are standing at the fork of a rail for a trolley that is going to either run over four people or one person it's currently on its way to hit the one person but if you pull that lever oh sorry other way around it'll hit the four people unless you pull it'll the, hit lever. the four people yeah. unless you hit the lever and it'll hit the one person you're still committing murder but just not mass murder right um and then the other scenario that like you kind of tack other stuff on it like what if the one person is like your mother or mm. someone that you really cared about or what if that one person can has the only cure for cancer um right. are you still in the right there and it's those kind of questions that really make utilitarianism a very subjective kind of uh philosophy where really to to know it to like practice it well you honestly need to be omniscient yeah basically it's 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 honestly ironic sometimes because utilitarianism tries to turn things into objective, cold, logical equations. But really, the motive or the goal of any utilitarian question, kind of the answer depends on who you ask. It's it's uh, like you said, Bruce, the emotion can come into it, which sort of defeats the purpose. But, you know, when human beings try to practice it, of course, they have emotion. They're human beings. And, you know, obviously, this comes into play when we see utilitarianism employed in the doom setting as well. And it's very fascinating how that uh, just kind of happens because I mean, over all of this, it's just kind of been with the mostly the pivot focal point of hell. I mean, right. that's really just the that, horrible that, part of it. That is the crux of where utilitarianism kind of goes wrong in, in doom. Uh, I guess we'll, the, the prime example being, if we go back to the beginning, the original doom games, as we discussed previously with our special guest Motherload on our last episode, which you should listen to if you haven't. Yeah, check it out. Uh, check check it, out. it out. Uh the original Doom games kick off because a, a corporation called the UAC, Union Aerospace Corporation, kind of a mega company, was experimenting with teleportation and they were pushing the limits of scientific uh, progress, you know, uh with the goal being advance all of humanity at uh, no matter the cost. They kept pushing and pushing and pushing until possibly, most likely, on accident, they create a portal into hell and demons invade Mars. And uh, that just kicks off the whole situation. We see that kind of repeated in the reboot 
of uh, the 2016 Doom game. A tad more on the nose. Yes, way more on the nose. Uh, you, you do see utilitarianism kind of come more into the forefront in the reboot in 2016 because you get a bit more of a direct look into the motivations of the UAC director, a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Samuel Hayden. Uh, I say gentleman, but he's actually a cyborg. I guess he could be both. He can be a cyborg and a gentleman. Yeah. I, I don't see why not. I th- Yeah, why not? Let's not limit him. But the <laughs> thing is, he, he knows the risk of tapping into hell as an energy source, which is what the UAC was doing on Mars in the, in the 2016 reboot. He knows that, you know, siphoning argent plasma from hell is, uh, is a calculated risk. There's a, there's a risk factor to it. But the alternative is Earth, you know, goes without energy. Like there's this massive energy crisis on Earth at the time. So he's saving humanity in a way. Uh, yeah, trying to find those uh, different calculations. I mean, how many would starve to death? Uh, how many would be without power? How many would be dying of thirst, of hunger, of uh, freezing, of uh, overheating? I mean, how many? And then, you know, you'd have to kind of calculate that into how many lives were lost in the ultimate risk that was taken and loss of uh, hell creatures making their way to the material plane. That's right, because as as is, it's almost inevitable, we, you know what happens. You know how the story ends. The OAC <laughs> screws the pooch and demons invade Mars again in the reboot. And yeah, that is that kind of was the question, like, well, it was it worth the risk or not? And we'll get into that some more later. But that is kind of a setup to the to the doom scenario. It's meddling with an outside force that you don't understand and you know you can't control but you convince yourself you have no choice this is for the good of humanity and for earth uh but earth ends up being almost entirely eaten alive by demons as a result yeah you kind of would almost prefer just living in an age of darkness and energy crisis than actual continental pentagrams and giant gore nests going in and destroying cities it is uh yeah it's a coin flip you know <laughs> it's like, which would you rather have you it is like a 20-sided die you're, uh, like, yeah your milk goes bad in your fridge because uh argent hell energy to, uh, stops flowing to earth or you get disemboweled by a pinky and uh melted by a cacodemon you know <laughs> it's it's ups and downs life's a roller coaster but uh, aside from the uac and the human scientists who basically doom their species because they, sorry for the pun, but they doom their <laughs> species uh, because they just had to push the boundaries of energy production. There is another sort of setting we see utilitarianism repeated in, and that's uh, the angelic plane of Erdak, right? Yeah, so Erdak is, uh, you know, this very advanced civilization, multidimensional, uh, almost seemingly divine um, creatures led by the con maker. Um, who uh, very explicitly explains that these different purgings of planets are done so that their energy crisis and that the world of Erdak can continue living, that it must survive through killing other worlds, much like Earth having to fall. And it's really just, you see the parallel here, obviously, but you don't really usually assume that something of an advanced civilization would have almost the same problems as the UAC. But it again says not only that, I mean, here we see the stakes are higher. If Earth doesn't fall, Erdak and all of its inhabitants 
will die is what the con maker is saying here. It's not just going to be an inconvenience or uh, a stepping back of the civilization. It now only can survive through getting the energy from other worlds. And, you know, at that point, do you just kind of, that's really a trolley uh, dilemma there Absolutely. where it's just, do you let your own world die or do you take this other world that probably hasn't done as much as you uh, probably can't be able to, you know, command the heavens and the stars and keep uh, hell out of the meddlings of other innocent people. I mean, Erdak would have to do a lot of, you know, charity uh, to kind of make that case. But it's saying that it has to survive. So from their perspective, there really can't be any greater good than allowing hell to consume Earth. That's kind of the most utilitarian thing they can do. Otherwise, their entire species species dies out. So, And then there's also a superiority complex there because they are saying by wanting to survive, they are saying we are worth more than this planet. We are better than you intrinsically in every way. We are superior. We are the greater good. And that that's something we explain. We, you know, discuss in length in our other episode on uh, slaying the broken system, which, again, <laughs> definitely listen to if you haven't yet. But but yeah, bottom line is even an advanced civilization like the makers, they still deal with the same quandaries that humanity does where, you know, what are we willing to risk or what are we willing to sacrifice? They're willing to sacrifice all of mankind uh, because they would die otherwise. But uh, it is still that through line of justifying your actions because, you know, it's what else are we going to do? It's the greater good. We have to. We have no choice. There is uh, one other example that we see most most explicitly in the 2016 reboot and Doom Eternal. The story of the people of Argent Denur also kind of has shades of utilitarianism as well. You know, these are these are people that... Uh, when the wayward Doom Marine uh, from the original games got spat out of hell because he was kicking its ass too hard, he uh, landed. <laughs> he landed in Argent Denor, you know, crazy and uh, you know, just half mad, going yes. guts, <laughs> just ranting about guts and uh, demons everywhere. Uh, the Argent the Ar the Argenta people took him in and trained him as one of their own, and that's how he became the Slayer. But again, that's another story. But these are also people who. They pursued greater power to to defend themselves, to expand their realm and just sort of achieve a greater sense of uh, purpose. And they served the makers and they thought that the makers were the greater good. And, you know, when Argent energy and hell essence were combined, you know, the Argenta just went along with it, even though. That relying on that power source was kind of corrupting their civilization. We see this in the codex entries in Doom Eternal. Right. The more reliant yeah. on Argent energy they became, just the more kind of thralls of hell they became. So the Argenta people were undone by their thirst for greater power, just like the UAC were. Now, I do wonder if that is because of their exposure to the Erdak early on. That's very possible. Or yeah. if that was if that was done beforehand, like they would have done that anyway, if given the chance, but I don't know. It, it, it also just seems like a very, well, some of these aren't humans, but it's a very human 
thing to do where you, you're you're worrying about yourself, you're worrying about those around you and in your vicinity, and it's hard to kind of see your place in the entire macrocosm of the universe. Right. But I think deep down, like self preservation in itself is selfish. Not to say that you shouldn't fight for your life <laughs> right. or anything. Uh, but you know, I think it's just kind of basic instinct of any organism to do whatever it takes to save themselves. But I think there are some times where it goes way, way too far. And we're going to see what those people who are like champions of utilitarianism yeah, have done. We've established how utilitarianism manifests in Doom, but I think it's time we get into how it sort of manifests badly and how it leads to ruin for some of these people and these these characters we mentioned uh samuel hayden earlier director of the uac he plays a very important part in the 2016 reboot when the slayer is brought sort of back to consciousness at the beginning of this new hell invasion and this new timeline he finds himself in and you know the Doom, the Doom Slayer is waking up like, oh, there's demons again. I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to kill them. Oh, this shit again. <laughs> Here we go again. Yeah. It's just, yeah, killing demons number five, electric boogaloo or whatever it is for him. <laughs> and he just does what he does, what comes naturally to him. But Samuel Hayden, you know, being this very utilitarian character, he thinks I can sort of do what I do and direct the anger and the brutality of the Slayer to serve my interests. And that's what he tries to do throughout most of uh, the game. But, of course, the Slayer's not interested in that. <laughs> and so, you know, he's the Slayer's going through the, the facility on Mars, just smashing shit up. And at, at several points, there's actually one particular mission where, in order to stop the invasion of Hell on Mars, the Slayer is destroying these... I'm getting, I'm guessing very expensive and very uh, complicated. <laughs> they took, they, oh God. Uh, so he said that these are, there are only those exist in the entire like solar system right. that help filter Argent energy. If you destroy these, there will not be any more energy for anyone on Earth or Mars. And then right. it's just, you have to carefully, and then he just, curb stomps him <laughs> yeah hayden is trying to talk the slayer through the careful removal and deactivation of these extremely sophisticated machines and what does the slayer do he just puts his fucking boot through them just bashes them up <laughs> and it's it's kind of this you know it's funny and we laugh at it and we should because it's hilarious but behind it it is a very poignant moment of samuel hayden's utilitarianism like it's for the greater good if we preserve these machines, even though right now they're being used to bring demons into our mortal plane. It's still for the greater good and, you know, in the long run, a benefit to preserve them. But I think the Slayer is like a natural counter to Hayden's utilitarianism, just saying like, uh, no, uh, no, like they need to be destroyed. No, I've, I've seen I've seen all of this before. Yeah, Shut exactly. Up. Yeah, I've seen it before. You don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm doing. I know demons. You don't know shit about demons. Shut up and let me do my job. That's kind of all things that the Slayer says without saying them, which is one of the many things we love about him. So later on in that same section, the Slayer's in an elevator. He's kind of coming up out of the uh, facility he was awakened in, and he's trying to get to the where the action is, where the main invasion started. And as he's riding the elevator, another monitor activates, and Hayden kind of 
tries to make another appeal to the Slayer's humanity, <laughs> just sort of, you know, trying to get through to him. Uh, he, he says he says something about uh, we can work together to stop this. And, uh, you know, I, I admit that things have gotten out of hand. Uh, but here's here's the here's the kicker. He says, and I quote, but it was worth the risk, I assure you. And while he's saying that, the Slayer's looking around and he sees a dead human body in the elevator with him. And it's such a pointed moment where the Slayer is staring at that dead body as Hayden tries to tell him that it was worth the risk. And that's when the Slayer just snaps. He just balls up his fist and just slams it into the monitor, breaking it. And that's when the Mick Gordon riffs start hitting you over the head <laughs> and the the main credits or the, the, the title card hits. And then that's when the game starts. And that's like the best way they could start the game. It's such a heavy moment, but it tells you so much about his character. And it also tells you so much about how the themes of this game are answering this philosophy of the UAC were doing what had to be done. They were doing good work. It was for the good humanity and all the casualties, all the people who got killed in the, you know, in the process, they were just casualties of utilitarianism. Really. They were casualties of this greater good that the UAC was doing. And that's what Hayden embodies. But the Slayer is kind of like judging that. Like you said, he's like saying, no, you, you've meddled in things you don't understand. And I'm here to show you good intentions don't matter when you've nearly doomed all of mankind. Exactly. And I mean, like, I, I just always remember almost every interaction that the Doomslayer has with Samuel Hayden is just almost this one sided conversation where Samuel Hayden is almost just trying to lecture him about the justifications for everything that he's seen going awry on the facility. And it's like not even like, oh, you see, we've done great things here and this. It's just like, I did this because of this. Don't don't worry about that. People have died, but it doesn't matter. We've got the energy, uh -huh. the energy, Doomslayer. Come on. It just always feels like an, almost an admission of guilt on his part, where it's just like he's just trying to save face in the aftermath of what is obviously just the biggest train wreck that you could possibly or a trolley wreck, if you, if you will. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. It's a trolley wreck. OK, we're going to take a quick break here, but stick around. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. This is Michael from the Lore Party Podcast Network. I'm the producer and host of Minigame, a podcast that takes a deeper look at the stories of our favorite video games. Every episode is only about five to ten minutes long, and I analyze the themes, characters, and stories in the games we love and highlight games you may never heard of before. Subscribe to Minigame at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and anywhere else you find podcasts. You know, moving on to, uh, you know, other examples of how we do see this through line of really every civilization that used utilitarianism to sort of justify their attempts to take advantage of the power of hell. When they when they're given that opportunity. Yeah. When they have the chance to and they try to take advantage of what hell offers, you know, what, what power it has, what properties it has in like literally every instance, uh, it leads to either corruption disaster death all of the above one really good example of that is uh, a character by the name of olivia pierce she appears in the 2016 reboot as well she sort of 
Samuel Hayden's uh, second in command, so to speak. She's like head of research there on Mars. And she is actually the catalyst for the hell invasion of that game. She spends most of her life studying, you know, how Argent energy is created, what the hell dimension is like, you know, what the creatures there are like, what their culture is like, what their history is. And she eventually just becomes obsessed with power. Now, there's a discussion we can have over whether or not she got, you know, the the obsession grew from a desire to better humanity by harnessing power of hell or whether it was purely for self-glorification, whether it was like completely for her own sake. But the result was, if you uh, pardon the cliche, she sold her soul to the devil, really. Uh, you know, a pact She literally with, did that. I yeah, think. I mean, that's, that's pretty much what it was. She made a pact with the demon lords of hell, agreeing to release them onto Mars and onto Earth and the mortal plane, like our dimension, in return for her power for herself. And, you know, that's... It may seem like a purely selfish thing, but in in her perspective, she's probably using some utilitarian thinking to justify this is for the best. This is maybe it's just the best for me, but maybe she somehow convinced herself that humanity would be better off slaves to hell or something. But it, it also still at the beginning stemmed from just a pursuit of knowledge. You know, everything she did came from I need to know more. I need to know more and achieve more and advance society and hell is a uh, is a way to do that again that's the greater good thinking but you know in theory <laughs> that's the greater good in theory but it ended <laughs> with uh with just absolute catastrophe and just trying to think of just you know hey i this could work this could truly work but like you said before it, like that scene of uh, Samuel Hayden saying it was worth the risk, I assure you, and just seeing the corpse, you got to see where they think worth is. And it didn't seem like there was, it was where worth should have been if, you know, your goal was to help humanity. Right. Um, by extension, Samuel Hayden, again, I, I remember a lot of different of those uh, hologram uh, playbacks where, Either Olivia Pierce is pretty much almost having assistants and scientists sacrifice themselves to altars. Um, Samuel Hayden is like lecturing her and saying, like, this has gone way off the fucking rails. You gotta <laughs> reel this back in. I don't like to tell you what you what to do in your uh free time, <laughs> Olivia, but uh it's getting a little ridiculous. I mean, you've started a cult, let's be honest. <laughs> it, it was truly yeah, like it was like half a cult was just like in that research development part department. And there was definitely a time uh where Samuel Hayden literally just turned a blind eye to that and said, As long as we're getting results, I don't need to know what goes down there until it was too late. And he's just saw just the death and carnage and destruction uh, and he's like oh my god she was doing this and that and the cult and the candles and everything it was just the worst right so that's that's another example of you know hayden or just a character in general being blinded by what they perceive as the greater good i'm look i'm taking the long view i'm looking down the road toward the benefit at the end of the road and by looking that way i'm just going to ignore the really creepy pseudo religious faction that has formed in uh the rec the advanced research lab that olivia pierce is leading you know what i'll let that i'll let that slide as long as i get to the goal at the end of the road again that's flawed thinking like we've been getting into 
because look what it led to. And exactly, you know, uh, circling back to Con Maker once again, leader of the uh, the makers of Erdak. She uh, again, she knows that if Earth isn't consumed by hell, her people will die. But you know, that's that's sort of the um, the math she does, the moral math she does. It's not even a question for her. She'll choose her own people over Earth any day. It's not a it's not a hard question. But where that spells her downfall, her flaw in that thinking is: in order to do this, I'm going to have to make an enemy of the Doomslayer, which is, uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious at this point that's a bad idea, right? <laughs> you don't want to exactly. make him target you for anything. So, again, it's you know we've gotten into a few examples here of just utilitarianism making you sort of far-sighted you know what i mean where like yeah you 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 keep you keep your eye on the end goal and you ignore the compromises you're going to make along the way you ignore the means because you're focused on the ends yeah and this is also um hell is such a very powerful player here without it kind of being this overall character it is almost more of a metaphor or a an environment even though it is you know in an actual dimension filled with you know autonomous creatures it's more of just the the power of hell that truly tempts all of these different characters into making that jump of utilitarianism towards being an antagonist of the doomslayer and a threat to innocence right yeah, and we, we definitely see a very uh, clear result every time a character or a faction or a group or whatever tries to utilize hell for its own means. Uh, you know, we, again, we see that with the UAC. They, you know, tampered with power they didn't understand. And uh, what that shows us is that basically if you take a purely utilitarian approach to any situation, whether it's an energy crisis on Earth or it's the makers of Erdak kind of running out of time, uh, you know, biologically. When you when you look at it purely from the perspective of utilitarianism, meaning anything can be justified if it reaches our goal, what that does is that it, it conveniently ignores the fact that you're trying to control hell, which kind of by its own nature can't be controlled or predicted. You know, what both the UAC and the makers built a system reliant on energy from hell which is demonstrably unsustainable because eventually, as we see, hell will turn around and want something in return from you, and it will be more than you can give. So it's it's kind of flawed thinking. It's, we'll, we'll latch onto hell and we'll take its energy, but... They never make an out for themselves. Exactly, just, yeah. And then what? Well, and then, I mean, hell's going to be there forever, so we're cool. We're Gucci. <laughs> And hell's going to always be friendly to us. Why wouldn't they be? <laughs> like, no, nothing bad could possibly happen because I say so. That's really how it. That's really what it, it really is. To. That's honestly how they've all of them have uh, approached this in some fashion. Is just like this is no like this is a deal. This is fine. This is how it's going to work until right. it doesn't. Until it doesn't. That's right. Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. 